Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our number three of the week that was, and like Archie Griffin, State Senator Kirk Schering is a legend in the legislative arena. Senator from the 29th District and one of the most accomplished legislators in the state and Kirk thank you so much I've got so much to talk to you about well thank you Joe I think that might have been an overstatement but I'll accept it but remember to be a legend you have to be old and I do qualify in that category <laughs> uh-huh. I and one other thing I've got to say to your listeners I would advise them if they have Amazon Alexa to tell Alexa to cancel that wake-up call for tomorrow morning at 3.30 a.m. It wasn't a wake-up call. It was Sinatra. Well, yeah, at 3.30 a.m., that would wake you up. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I I tried to sneak that in. Obviously, it got yours. Yes, right. I canceled it. Okay, good. Kirk, I want to ask you, there's so many things. There's probably four things. But first of all, I want to start out with we we were talking about vaping. Has a, has the state of Ohio banned it yet, or is it going to? Well, the governor's looking at uh, emergency rules that would ban flavored uh, vaping devices, e-cigarettes and, and vaping devices. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the problem with the flavored vaping devices, it lures uh, children into uh, nicotine addiction. Mm. Uh, and to that point, uh, the Centers for Disease Control uh, have just recently reported that there was a 48% increase in vaping among middle school students, middle school, and a 78% increase among high schoolers. Wow. So, uh, you know, that that's the reason for the emergency rules. Uh, uh, Michigan and New York City, or not, excuse me, New York State have done the same. Uh, but to Steve's point earlier, uh, the, the you know, there's been over 530 uh, uh, people hospitalized uh, here uh, in the United States, I think now the death toll is around nine. But what they're finding, most of them are black market vaping devices that use a vitamin E acetate, which is the same ingredient that is used in um, lotions, cosmetic lotions. Mm-hmm. And what the, what that does is it gets into the lung sacs and then creates a, an oily-like substance uh, that causes people not to be able to breathe, and they, they die. So... Um, what we're trying to do, and I say we, the governor, uh, uh, through these emergency rules, is to try to prevent young people from uh, getting a hold of these flavored vape- vaping devices, you know, flavors like bubble gum, root beer, cotton candy, cookies. I mean, that obviously that's purposely being used to lure young people into, uh, again, uh, in my opinion, nicotine addiction. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, we'll just have to look at that and see that that's probably going to come down the pike pretty quickly right yeah the governor's looking at it he's trying to see whether or not he has the constitutional authority to do it and uh, there is a bill pending in the house right now that would do something similar but i think uh, the governor uh, is going to pursue uh, regulatory executive action okay 
Now, I, I want to move on, and, and the news that came out yesterday, which I think is, uh, in my opinion, I had heard this rumor from inside uh, probably about a month or so ago that Mercy Medical Center is looking into, and the Sisters of Charity, looking into a uh, and, and signed a letter of intent to move forward on Mercy becoming part of Cleveland Clinic. I is this good news or bad news? It's good news, absolutely good news. Yeah, uh, Cleveland Clinic is uh, is uh, revered as one of the top, if not the best, uh, medical institution in the world, uh, and we're fortunate to have it just sixty miles away in Cleveland. Uh, and if they can come down here uh, and be a part of the Stark County community uh, through Mercy Medical. Uh, I think that's a plus. Uh, the quality of life in any community largely depends upon the health care system that's available. And uh, we've been fortunate here in Stark County to have the likes of Altman Hospital and uh, Mercy Medical Center. But if Mercy Medical Center merges with the uh, Cleveland Clinic, it definitely will improve uh, the quality of life for all of us in Stark County. Yeah, I agree with that, too. And I actually think it's probably further down the line uh, closer to happening than the article lets on. I think this has yeah. probably been going on for quite a while, and I think it's probably going to happen. Yeah, uh, well, here's the way I would describe it, Joe. Uh, you were spot on. The rumors about this have been circulating for weeks. Yes. And to me, the, the metaphor I like to use, it was like they were dating for weeks, okay? Yes. And uh, what they announced yesterday and the signing that took place with uh, Mercy uh, medical center executives and Cleveland Clinic executives was basically a an engagement. They're going to get married, but they have to do their due diligence to make sure all the data is what uh, they think it is, and the equipment, and you know uh, those types of things. So yes. they're in their due diligence phase. I think they just announced their engagement, and I think that it will lead to the marriage. That's the a two hospitals. That's a great point. That is a a great way to describe it, and. Uh, I I think it is good. It, it'll be it'll be great for the city of Canton, obviously, and for Stark County. I think it's important. I wanted to move into another thing real quick. And uh, as you know, a few weeks ago, I spoke with State Representative Thomas West about Canton City Schools, the state grading system, uh-huh. uh, and how to best help the teachers and students within. Canton City Schools, and really anybody that is struggling in the state of Ohio to a certain extent. Um, I, I I talked to him, and I know you agree with the grading system being a problem, right? Oh, yes, uh, I can get into greater detail about that. We, we need to measure uh, the performance of schools, but the letter grade grading system that's uh, more than just the, uh, the letter grade, it's uh, 15 different components that have to be addressed a a, a system of testing that has uh, flaws in it. Uh, So there's a a myriad of things that need to be corrected with the current grading system. Mm. Now, I I did want to ask this, um, and and I asked Thomas West about this also, is instead of the state taking over CCS, Canton City Schools, like is it supposed to happen if a school is struggling or school system? Why can't the city take over total control of its school system, the curriculum, the testing, everything? 
Because who knows the district better than the people in this community? Well, uh, that's a, a great suggestion. And right now in the Senate, we're uh, having hearings on House Bill 154, which changes the Academic Distress Commission. Uh, it, 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 some would submit to you it makes it better because it would institute more local control. Others would tell you that it's actually a, an ADC light in that it, it doesn't make enough changes. To your point and to Thomas's point, uh, I would agree. I think what we need is uh, we need uh, to, first of all, change the grading system uh, because uh, the, this inordinate amount of testing, by the way, is a product of the No Child Left Behind Act of the early 2000s, a bipartisan thing, but basically it said one size fits all, and that's not the way it should work. Uh, we need an educational system that prepares uh, high school graduates for the world of work by either going to an adult vocation, uh, uh, vocational education uh, school or a two-year community college, a four-year college, uh, an apprenticeship program, uh, the military, or, you know, just land a decent job. But what we've got now, most of this testing is trying to steer young people towards college, and that's good. That's, we always want to make sure we, we are making sure that our students are prepared for college, but in this day and age, not everybody's going to college, and we have a dearth of skilled workers who, and manufacturers and construction trades will tell you that, you know, we need, need to do a better job preparing them. So anyways, this testing system that determines the grade, um, that you, you take the test, and then sometimes it takes as long as six months to get the results back from the test. And, uh, you know, testing has always been fundamental to education. You test somebody so you can ascertain where they're at, if they're learning or not. And if they're not learning, then that testing tool is the thing you use to figure out how you can intervene, remediate, and right. get them to the level they need to be as, uh, as far as the learning is concerned. Right, but uh, Kurt, and, let, me, let me just say this. When you and I went to school, uh-huh. the teachers developed the testing based on what they knew they were teaching and and they kind of you know we had we had a spelling and then we had spelling tests we had math that they taught us and then and then we had a quiz but it, but it was teacher oriented and school oriented versus a standardized test that these teachers have to try and teach to and 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 they're not geared towards they're geared towards the average person and then when you get a a, a a urban school with kids that you know they they don't have these they don't have the same perception they don't have the same uh experiences in life that these tests have well it goes back to what i said earlier in the early 2000s uh the u.s congress bipartisanly adopted the No Child Left Behind Act, which got into this standardization of education based upon, and I'm trying to be fair about this, based upon uh, uh, the uh, um, employer community saying, you know, back in the days when Joe Pomisano and Kirk Schroing went to school, the world of work was vastly different, and and they needed uh, a different type of worker in the workplace. But again, it was geared more towards uh, four-year uh, degrees, which again, I'm not against, but it, it, it's broader than that is what I'm trying to get at. The, the standard uh, is missing the mark. 
so to your point, I think what we need to do is we need to look at a broader spectrum spectrum of outcomes and tests that would allow us to teach students at various levels. For instance, some of the testing now, and which just changes, but prior to the changes, you had to pass Algebra One and Algebra Two to get a high school diploma. Back when you and I were kids, we had general courses, college preparatory courses. And, and the people in the general courses didn't have to take algebra, right. algebra one and algebra two. Uh, so you know, uh, we we need to be more malleable. We need to to understand what the real workplace demands are, the in-demand jobs. Um, I can't tell how many times I go to Starbucks and other places like that where I strike up a, a, a conversation with the the person who's taking my order, and they invariably tell me they got a four-year college degree. I know that's not what they went to college for. Right. So we got to start aligning uh, the, the education system in Ohio, both uh, primary and secondary and post-secondary, to the job world, to the in-demand jobs. Now, let me ask you one more question about the education. Why is, and you and I have talked about this before, but why is state money tied to control? Why can't State, why can't, why couldn't a, uh, the state of Ohio still fund a school district, but trust that the local community can do a better job? Two things fundamentally, and I, I, I you know, there's a delicate balance there. We do need to have more local control. Again, some of the federal mandates that the state has followed has uh, restricted that over the last uh, two decades, uh, but. Uh, but also fundamentally, when you when you have money, when money comes from a source, and in some cases, in some school districts, the state funding is, uh, you know, 65, 75 percent. Uh, so with that, there's always uh, an obligation that goes with that. So uh, a, a, a standard that is expected. So that that's that's part of it. Uh, and and the other thing is. Uh, you know, in our Constitution, it says the General Assembly is uh, responsible for a thorough and efficient system of common schools. So, we, we you know, it's a delicate balance. I'm, I'm with you. We need more local control, but we also need to make sure that we're attaining that thorough and efficient system of common schools. And uh, so, you know, we, we need to work on it. I think we're doing some things in the General Assembly to try to move back to more local control, uh, and we need to do more. I I can't argue with that. I appreciate that. The last thing I want to talk to you about today, Kirk, is the Ohio Supreme Court on Monday overturned Cleveland's Fannie Lewis law, which set residency hiring standards for major city constructions. Now, the law basically mandated that any construction project within a city, the city of Cleveland, that would cost over $100,000 they needed to hire at least 20% of its workers from inside that city. Now, I thought this law made sense, since it is usually the taxpayers of the city who are helping to fund the major construction through taxes, tax abatements, or other form of financing. Why did they kill this law? Well, first of all, they, 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 I voted for the bill that created the law, and I'll give you the reason for that. But okay. Our... Uh, our Supreme Court cited Article 2, Section 34, which basically gives the General Assembly broad powers to pass legislation for the general welfare of uh, working people in Ohio. Uh, and, 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 and where that strikes a chord is that 
uh, I just said, there's a dearth of uh, qualified workers, skilled workers. Uh, when you start imposing local controls, stating like they did with the uh, Fannie Lewis case, not just 20%, Joe, of uh, the uh, uh, workers are need to come from the city who are on the construction projects, but 4% have to be impoverished. Well, you know, we live in a sophisticated world today. Uh, we just don't, you know, back during the days of the Great Depression, the WPA, you go to the the, uh, the soup lines and you'd give somebody a shovel and say, we need you to help build this park over here. Right. Uh, today, you have to be a, a journeyman. You have to be an apprentice. Uh, you have to have a CDL license. And the other thing, the local unions, uh, they, they, they cover uh, geographical territory that encompasses multiple municipalities. And part of what they do is they work off a pool. And when workers are needed on the job in various locations within their jurisdiction, they send them to the job. And to me, this hurt workers because if you have somebody who resides in Canton and Akron, in their case, with their $1.2 billion sewer project, they, they demanded 50% of those workers would come from Akron. I mean Akron, not Summit County, but Akron. So anybody who was in that union pool in Stark County couldn't go to that job. Um, you know, we, we need to, that, that's why it was fundamentally flawed. The other thing is, all municipalities under Ohio law have the opportunity to enter into a project labor agreement with the locals, with the local unions. And then there they can uh, agree to certain workplace standards. And that's the place where if they want to get into something like this, they need to work hand in glove with the local labor unions and uh, and do it in a way that, uh, you know, assures that uh, they'll get good quality workers, but uh, but not because they live in a particular municipality. I get it. So you can still do this, working as as a an agreement with the union versus having it be a law, right? And the unions know better than anybody whether or not they have the pool of resources, workers who can meet those requirements. Okay. I, I would submit to you the way it would work, and this is hypothetical, that there would be a preference. Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the first preference uh, under a project later labor agreement, the term could be the first preference would be to hire uh, a qualified worker who resides in that municipality. Uh, but if that, if that preference cannot be achieved, then they can hire somebody outside the municipality. But those are things, again, the, the latitude and the flexibility of the PLA uh, is such that that's, those are things that can be negotiated. Okay. Yeah, and see, you always talk me off the ledge because I read, I I saw this, and I was like, you know, oh, this is going against home rule. It's further ero- eroding the local government. It's doing all this, but there's a sensible reason and way to get around it, other than having it be mandated. And that's why the uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, Affiliated construction trades, we call it ACT. Uh, that's the, the ones that represent the building trades of Ohio. They, when this legislation was pending back in 2016, they they chose not to weigh in because uh, they 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 thought that uh, if it did pass and it became law, that, that they could still operate and do things through that project labor agreement. Okay, Kirk, thank you so much. Kirk Schering, uh, Senator from the 29th District, and uh, a legend in his own right. I'll say it again. I thank you so much for taking time. Thank you.
Thank you, Joe. I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much. You have a good one. Thank you. You too. Kirk Shearing, everyone.